Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. That was Between the Veils with Kristen Hoffman, who's going to be joining us for our 20-year celebration at MGM Grand Ballroom on July 2nd from 3.30 to 6 p.m. And I'm inviting everyone, come to Washington for the 4th of July weekend. You'll have so much to do, not only the 4th of July celebrations uh, on the Capitol, but also our 20 years. I've been so teary-eyed because I go back to, let me clear my throat, when I was a very young yogi (laughs) and just looking at the images and I had no idea, I had no idea that we have been moved to have offered so much of our lives to humanity. I can't begin to tell you. And I know that it's it's a higher level of energy. I know it's an awakening of the spirit. Because if you're asleep, you can't do much. But if you're awake, you can. Stay tuned. We're going to talk to Dr. Stephen Taylor, who's going to be talking to us about what really is spiritual awakening. And as you know, the name of our the theme of our show is Awakening to Love and Forgiveness. So Dr. Taylor, we're on your we're on your beat. Looking forward to talking to you shortly. Before I get him on the air, why don't we do what we do best here? Let's turn the switch on. Let's turn the switch on of awareness and do a little bit of meditation to get us into a place of clarity, calmness, and awakening. Take a deep breath. Imagine that you're sitting in a control room, looking through your eyes. Allow your body to become very comfortable and still. Now, turn off all the switches in the control room to the body. Turn off the switch to the feet. The switch to the legs. As each switch is turned off, you'll feel that part of the body relax and become very light. Turn off the switch to the stomach and the chest. You feel your breathing slowing down.
Turn off the electricity to the hands and the arms. And you'll feel all the energy drawing upwards. Turn off the neck. off the switch to the face until the whole engine of the body has come to a standstill. And now let your mind relax. Be in the present. Welcome back. That was The Switch from the Jewel Meditation CD by Brahma Kumaris. You're listening to American Meditating Radio, and I'm your host, Sister Jenna. We are recording from the beautiful Meditation Museum in the nation's capital. It's been quite a number of years. We're coming up to our 20th year celebration being in service in this region. And I was sharing earlier in the show, um, I don't know what kept me awakened, but let me talk to Dr. Taylor and find out what is behind my awakeness. Steve Taylor, PhD, is a senior lecturer in psychology at Lee Beckett University in the United Kingdom. He's also the author of several best-selling books on psychology and spirituality, including Waking from Sleep, The Calm Center, and his latest book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening, with a foreword by our brother Eckhart Tolle. Since 2011, he has appeared annually in Mind, Body, Spirit magazine's list of the world's 100 most spiritually influential people. Dr. Taylor regularly appears in the media in the UK and has recently been featured on BBC, BBC World TV, BBC World Service News, and now he's on America Meditating Radio. Today, we're honored to welcome Dr. Steve Taylor from Manchester, UK. Hello, my brother. Hi there. Hi, Sister Jenna. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah. It's a sunny day here in the UK, so... uh... Uh, it feels like spring is well and truly here. Oh, good. Finally. Glad to hear that. I know that you have been studying the world's spiritual traditions and practices since you were very young. You've done also like mm. a great deal of research on enlightenment and spiritual awakening. And I have to tell you that despite however amount of years I've been on my journey, for me, enlightenment and awakening gets revealed in the way that I treat people but also the way that I treat myself. You know, I used to think it was dying on the, a tree with a smile on my face, you know, or it was, you know, being placed on some major pedestal and, and everyone just gawked at you thinking that you were God. And even though I have so many things to be blessed about, I've broken it down, Dr. Taylor, to what extent can I be as respectful, thoughtful, kind, 
and appreciative to the life of another person, especially when they are not in that state. So could you please Mm. tell our listeners in America, what does it mean to be enlightened or spiritually awakened? Well, that's a big part of it, you know, how we treat other people and how altruistic we are, how compassionate we are, how empathic we are. Um, you, you could sort of break it down into a number of different areas. Like one area is sort of perceptual characteristics. So people who become spiritually awakened or who are naturally spiritually awakened, they have a, a very vivid perception of the world around them. They, you know, they see a lot of beauty in nature. They're fascinated by the world around them. And they don't, they don't see anything as mundane or ordinary. Everything is fascinating and everything is interesting and beautiful. And also they're, they're very present. Spiritually awakened people don't tend to focus on the future or the past too much. They're very focused on the present moment. They live within their present moment experience rather than living within their thoughts or in, in, within the future. And also um, they have a strong sense of well-being, a kind of natural joy inside them. You know, they... No matter what's going on in their lives, even if um, things aren't going particularly well in their careers or maybe they're not mm-hmm. as successful as they could be, they still have a, a sense of inner well-being that isn't too much affected by external circumstances. And, uh, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, um, the kind of the, the connective element is very strong too. Awakened people feel very connected to, to other human beings and to other living beings. And therefore... I love that. If a, yeah, if other people are suffering in some way, they feel a strong desire to alleviate other people's suffering. And, and if other people are behaving in a certain way, they understand yeah, why. Yeah. You know, they, they don't just judge them. They don't judge their behavior. They look at the reasons why they're behaving in a certain way. Yeah, I get that. You know, we are hosting an event uh, for our 20th year entitled Awakening to Love and Forgiveness. And we're actually making a whole tour with about 12, 12 cities and states all on the Eastern Corridor about awakening. And we're initiating a hashtag movement called Awakening or Are You Woke? And Dr. Taylor, you have to send me a video from the UK about what awakening is. And I know this won't be easy for you, but less than a minute. Okay, but... I, I, I really believe that this is important because when we look at the the pain and the suffering that we're observing in each other, in leadership, in every particular sector of our society, it is a sign that something in the spirit has been closed down. Something mm. is closed inside, and the question is what can open it up and Sometimes you could say it's time. It could be an encounter with a wise person. It could be an encounter with a whale. I remembered a friend of mine looking at a whale in Nova Scotia, and he just realized he's much more than what he was living. There's just Mm. something that we need to see, and I believe that it's a need for us to see or experience a moment of purity in our lives, to awaken a purity in the soul that has been merged. Thoughts? Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a question. Sometimes a question of becoming connected to something much larger than mm. yourself. I think the basic characteristic of, uh, of the sleep state, of the unawakened state, is separateness. It's the the experience of feeling that you are an isolated entity inside your own mental space, looking out at a world which seems to be out there, and other people seem to be mm. out there. So you feel kind of imprisoned in yourself. But when we wow. connect to something bigger than ourselves, it could be nature, uh, it could be looking at the stars on a, on a dark night, it could be swimming in the sea wow. and feeling that you're one with the ocean, uh, it could be making love and realizing that you're one with another person and therefore one with all other living beings. When you have a moment like that, then 
it changes your whole perspective on life. You know, nothing is ever the same again, I don't think. Wow, wow. Now, congratulations on the release of your new book, The Leap. And I love it, The Leap. Why the title and why did you decide to write the book? Well, I didn't really decide to write the book. It kind of like, I think the book mm. decided that it I should write it. It wrote for you. <laughs> I know the feeling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel that when I write books that they, they grow inside me for a long time. And um, mm-hmm. sometimes I'm not, I'm not even aware that they're there. But slowly I'm, I'm mm-hmm. aware that something's there and it starts to come out slowly. And finally, after a few years, it's like, ah, now, I, now it's the time to write the book. And so it seems Sweet. to emerge naturally. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, you know, being pregnant in a way. Like a book wants to come out and it's chosen you to <laughs> be the vehicle. I, well, no, that's why my wife said my wife doesn't agree that it's like being pregnant. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, maybe there's a slight analogy there. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I'm just being funny. Now, there are three yeah. different types of wakefulness that you speak about in the book. Could you tell our listeners a little? I know you've mentioned some as we were talking, but maybe just be specific in outlining the three that you mention in the book? The first one is what I call natural wakefulness. There are a small minority of people who are just naturally awake. It's their normal state. So they, they don't need to do anything to become awake and they don't need to follow any They're all Pisces. Practice. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to check that, check that out. Are you Pisces? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm Taurus. Okay, go ahead. Um, <laughs> So um, yeah, they, they don't need they don't need to practice any meditative exercises or follow spiritual paths, and they don't undergo a sudden moment of transformation. They just are naturally awake all the time. It's just their normal state. So a lot of poets naturally awaken people. A lot of painters. Uh, so like, I'm thinking of people like Walt Whitman, um, maybe Emily Dickinson, um, a, lot, a lot of a lot of poets like William Wordsworth, painters as well. They just choose uh, art as a medium to express their wakeful vision of the world. They don't often become spiritual teachers, I don't think, naturally awaken people. They sometimes have a, a strong impulse to be altruistic, to help the human race. So they may become sort of charity workers or therapists and, wow. and so forth. Well, you're touching and, a lot. Go ahead, the others. Right, the second one is um, gradual wakefulness. Maybe this is the most common form of wakefulness because there are probably millions of people, tens of millions of people around the world who are following spiritual paths or practices, who are meditating every day, who are practicing yoga. Uh, Or maybe even without realizing it, people are undergoing a natural and gradual wakefulness through living their lives and living lives of altruism and service. So through years of spiritual practice or maybe decades of spiritual practice or life experiences, many people are moving slowly towards wakefulness. They're slowly transforming their their normal state of being into a wakeful state of being. And finally, the, the third type of wakefulness is sudden and dramatic wakefulness. And mm. that's usually associated with um, intense psychological turmoil. Mm. So a lot of people, they undergo a sudden moment of wakefulness, a sudden awakening in times of extreme turmoil. Maybe, uh, maybe they've been diagnosed with cancer, uh, maybe they suffered a bereavement. Maybe they're, they're alcoholics or addicts and they've lost everything due to their addiction. Or maybe it's uh, severe depression, intense stress. So many people undergo a, a sudden collapse of their normal self 
due to all of this turmoil. But that seems to allow a new spiritually awakened self to be born inside them, which becomes mm-hmm. their normal awakened self. It's interesting, you know, Dr. Taylor, because I believe that we were born naturally in that state. It's like life mm. events have just moved us away from remembering the qualities of the spirit. It's just like when I talk about awakening, you know, I am sure we're speaking the same thing. Maybe the languaging is a little different. But when you're awakened, you really are much, much more compassionate, empathetic, thoughtful, understanding, giving, fearless. Um, you know, you have the ability to go the extra mile without wanting something in return, without expectations. Now, a lot of people talk about oneness. and They talk about collective consciousness. Um would you say that the human race is undergoing a collective awakening at this time? Britain has been going through a lot. Uh, America mm. certainly has been going through a lot. And in the midst of what we might say is a lack of awakeness that we're seeing, we're also watching a whole culture of individuals waking up to a level of saying, I believe more in ethics and values that are universal. Could you talk a little bit about that? Is there mm. some difference between oneness and collective consciousness? And, and what are the signs of this? Mm. Well, I do believe mm-hmm. that um, despite all of the, the difficulties the human race seems to be facing at the moment, I do believe that there is a, a process of collective awakening um, which is taking place. And it's not just... I think we have to look... Um, not just into the recent past, but we have to look maybe 300 years ago, we have to look back to the 18th century maybe. So a lot of um, cultural changes began at that time, which I think are associated with a, a collective awakening. So that towards the end of the 18th century, there was a, a sudden increase in compassion, which led to things like the animal rights movement, women's rights movement, um, better treatment towards criminals, ideals of democracy and equality. You know, it was the time of the French Revolution, the American Constitution, and things like that began at that time. They they continued through the 19th century, through the 20th century. So all of these things manifested in a, a greater sense of compassion and a greater sense of connection to nature, a greater sense of openness to the human body. You know, uh, the you know sort of a, a lessening of sexual repression, openness towards sex, and so forth. So all of these are signs of a collective increase in compassion and empathy. And I think they're signs that we were beginning to transcend separateness. And mm-hmm. I think that, that process is still underway. And I think the reason why there are so many, right at the moment in the world, there seems to be a, a kind of regression taking place where a lot of the countries seem to be becoming a little bit, bit more nationalistic, um, yeah. a bit more xenophobic. And I think the reason for that is that and those old values, the kind of uh, protectionist, nationalistic, egotistical values, I associate all of those with the, the sleep state, you know, the old state of humanity. Yes. And, and yes. those values are being threatened by the, the rising tide of wakefulness, which is taking yes. place in the world. Yes. So I think because those values are threatened, they're trying to sort of ingrain themselves. They're trying to become a bit more rigid. I think that yes. that always happens when you know when when values are threatened, uh, they become a bit more entrenched because they sense that mm-hmm. they are they sense their own demise. So I think that's probably what's happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting how we tend to justify our sometimes very sharp approach towards in infusing fear or control over the minds of others and, and justify it by saying it is for a bigger cause, it's for a bigger good, when we deeply know it is that you feel that you're losing your power. And I think that a lot of people in positions of physical power have lost sight that real power is from innate. It's an innate quality. It's, um, it's your ability to be truthful, your ability to be understanding and gentle. And a truthful person, to me, has always seemed to emanate a very gentle force, sort of like a river, like a flowing river where even if the debris comes in its way, it goes around it without any upheaval or, or, or stuff. And so seeing the state of the world, these, these, these individuals are brothers and sisters. Whether you're in positions of power or not, um, we are in a state where I believe the purity of the soul, the peace of the soul, the love of the soul is coming through and, you know, what I call algae, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego, it's an acronym I use all the time, Dr. Taylor. That uh, okay. energy is, is feeling like it's losing ground now. Like, where are you going to take me? Where am I going to live if I'm no longer mm. living in your consciousness? Do you understand? So a lot yeah. of what I'm seeing in Britain, in the Philippines, in Turkey, in North Korea, in America, in South Africa, it's like, wow. It's like the algae is seeing like the awakening is moving it out and it doesn't know where to go. So where it goes is towards physical forms of showing its force, where it's nuclear bombings or wars or killing or mm. trying to control people through military rule. And all that really is is a sign that there is something coming through our consciousness that is definitely... Mm you know, bringing about a state of being you. And now there's so many different theories of consciousness. I'm actually loving our talk. you got to keep coming on the air. <laughs> um, yeah. No, because what you're hitting on, are so, it's so spot on. Um, there's so many different theories of consciousness, or they try to debunk mystical or awakening experiences. Science is still grappling with when somebody actually has an out-of-the-body experience that, well, they were on under anesthesia. It's a normal phenomenon. My father was in a coma last year, and mm -hmm. I would go and talk to him, and I knew that the soul was sitting in his body and he could mm -hmm. hear me, but the doctors are like, oh, there's no response. There's nothing there. And I'm asking the doctor, please, can we not have this conversation in front of him? He had no thoughts whatsoever that my dad could even hear. He's like, he's brain dead. He can't hear you. I'm saying yeah. he can. He can. So can mm. you speak to us about the different theories of consciousness, explain or, or try to, you know, mystical to awakening? Is it the same? Hmm. Well, the most uh, kind of uh, the most normal scientific way, so-called scientific way of explaining consciousness is to say that consciousness is produced by the brain. It's produced by the billions of neurons which kind of whiz around inside our heads making connections and they produce our thoughts, they produce our feelings, they produce our feeling of being somebody inside our heads. And so if you have a, 
an awakening experience or if you have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, then that has to be explained in terms of unusual activity in the brain. It's like it has to be explained as a kind of hallucination caused by unusual activity. But um, I think there are more and more scientists and philosophers are beginning to realize that, that that theory doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really explain anything. It's really a kind of assumption. There's no evidence for it. It's just a, a kind of simplistic assumption. So as scientists have been studying consciousness for, for decades now with, with the most expensive and complex brain scanning technology. And nobody has got any idea at all of how the brain could possibly produce thoughts or, or memories. It's, it's all very... Um, you know, they've basically just drawn a blank about how the brain could produce consciousness. So that le- that's probably leading more and more people, including me, although I never really subscribe to that view anyway, it's leading more and more people to the view that consciousness is something that is beyond the brain. It's something that the, the brain is associated with the brain, but it doesn't come from the brain. So the, what, an alternative idea is that consciousness is something fundamental to the universe. It's something which pervades the whole universe and which fills all things, which fills the spaces between things. It was always there and it's everywhere. So Mm -hmm. maybe the purpose of the brain isn't to produce consciousness, but to pick up a consciousness which is everywhere and channel that consciousness Mm. into my being. So I become Mm. an an individual being when, when my brain picks up this all-pervading consciousness and it kind of channels it into my own being. So I think that's what the brain is for fundamentally. It has one role as um, a kind of an administrative center, a kind of organizing center Mm. for my body. But it also has this role of picking up this universal consciousness and receiving that consciousness and canalizing it into me. So I think that's why mm-hmm. so many spiritual traditions and so many spiritual teachers have this insight that in our essence, we are all one with the universe. And right, I think right. that's because, you know, we all, we're all channels of this universal consciousness. So we're all one and we're all the same. Right. You know, it's like I always look at the brain as the house for the soul. <laughs> and the hmm. soul is, is the consciousness. And so it needs a physical form to express what's in it. And so we mm-hmm. have the brain, we have the body, we have the organs, and then we have the extension of that called environment, relationships, situations. And uh, I just, I don't know, I've just been going so much more deeper in what's at the base of my consciousness, which has so much mm. to do with what lives have I lived that are still recorded in me that I am attached to. Because I can't yeah. be present if I can't live truthfully based on these universal laws that have always existed, such as kindness and love mm. and purity yeah. and abundance and sharingness, you know, just sharing. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that you become aware of in a, a spiritually awakened mm. state is that you are not a person. You are everybody, and everybody is you. And right. you realize that your essence is also the essence of every other human being and every other living being. So essentially, when when another human being is in difficulty, is in pain, or who experiences suffering, then you also experience their suffering. In a sense, you are also suffering. So so you feel a natural desire to help them, as you would want to alleviate your own suffering. 
you want to alleviate other people's suffering. And I think that all stems from the, you know, the, the, this, the consciousness we all share. We're all expressions of the same consciousness. We are all one. Right. We all, ex- we all experience one another's suffering right. and one another's right. joys. It's so true. That's so true. I swear I don't know if I could ever be completely happy when I see the suffering of someone else, even if, you know, there's a kind of suffering that we tend to miss, which are those who seem to have it all, but they're not happy. Mm. And and we tend to kind of push them aside, like, well, they've got all this money and they've got all of this, but there's so much suffering. When you look at their faces and you feel their vibrations, the divinity, the divinity is so merged. And so if the universe naturally and eternally has had love and purity and peace as an expression. And if that is no longer in you, we're finding it hard to connect to each other. But if we Mm. all bring up these original qualities, then it's a natural state of connection. Then we are definitely one. But if you and I are living Mm. from algae, then that's how you and I will connect. We, We will connect in this way, and it will become the norm. And it's interesting Mm. for us to watch individuals who are so algae-driven and are in the norm, and even the media supports that. And then you've got individuals who are, yeah, like universally driven, who are driven by divinity and truth and godliness, so to speak. I look at God as a quality, not as a religion. And so Mm. they're driven by these qualities, and you could see that they know that is the norm. And those are the people, I think, are living in a natural state of awaken. And maybe they're not, there's mm. no pump and splendor with them, but they're no, really no. offering, no, they're offering a service to the world that you and I will yeah. never be able to decode how powerful their contribution is. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that's uh, beautifully uh, expressed. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of um, spiritually awakened people don't become spiritual teachers or spiritual authors. Maybe they wouldn't even realize that they are spiritually awakened because it's so natural to them and they express it so spontaneously. And I think a lot of, you know, I mentioned earlier that a lot of spiritually awakened people become artists or, or poets, musicians. But a lot of spiritually awakened people become social activists, idealists, uh, altruists. And uh, one of the examples I often refer to is Florence Nightingale. You know Florence Nightingale? Who was, um, mm-hmm. She's famous for uh, I remember she was, in, being, yes, yes, I know her story. Yeah, yeah, she was she was famous for um, founding the modern profession of nursing. She sort of established the principles mm-hmm. of nursing and trained hundreds of nurses. She set up hundreds of hospitals, and in England, she she brought about a lot of social reforms that uh, connected with sanitation and health. So she was an amazingly productive person who was sort of filled with a a desire to help the human race to alleviate suffering, and probably you know in the long run, she's probably done more than you know, practically anybody else in history to alleviate suffering in terms of the medical advances she initiated. But a lot of people don't realize that she was actually a, a very spiritually awakened person. She was a, a mystic. And in her, in her later life, she wrote many books on Christian mysticism. And so she was somebody whose who's wakefulness was so powerful and it expressed itself in this, this incredible energy and this incredible impulse to alleviate suffering and to contribute to the human race. She was a, you know, she was a really profound and powerful awa- uh, example of an awakened person. Yeah, yeah, I bet she is, and is, and continues to be. 
Um, yeah. I've loved our conversation together. Um, leave us with some key points that perhaps you'd like our readers to take away from the book. And Dr. Taylor, I'd like to invite you to present your book at our museum. Perhaps we can do it through Skype or FaceTime to an audience because I think what you're saying and what you're doing hits hits the nail on the head for a lot of people who perhaps just need to understand how to recognize their state of awakening or maybe are they still asleep and perhaps can we do something to sort of wake up mark you many of the people that come to the museum are in their process but we Mm. always get an opportunity where there are individuals who are still percolating and wondering can i wake up can i even try so please consider that at some point. And I want to introduce you yeah. to some great people in the UK as well. So you'll be hearing from me. Um, what oh, are great. some of the points that you want? You're welcome. What are some of the points that you want your readers to um, take away from your book, The Leap? And please leave us with a website that the um, listeners can get a chance to contact you if they wish. Okay. Um, I think one of the the most important points I'm trying to get across is that there's nothing really extraordinary or esoteric about awakening. You know, you don't need to be a guru in India. You don't need to be a monk in a monastery uh, in order to wake up. You don't need to spend decades meditating or living a life of uh, following the, the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. Wakefulness is in some ways very ordinary. And a lot of the people who undergo awakening are simply people who are living ordinary lives in the midst of the world. Maybe they don't even know very much about spiritual practices or paths, but they undergo a sudden moment of transformation. And at that moment, their view of the world transforms and their attitude to other people transforms and the way they live their life transforms. And when that happens, people generally realize that wakefulness is very very spontaneous very easy and very natural it seems incredibly normal once you experience it and you realize that wow this is this is how things are meant to be this is how things should always have been it seems so natural and easy so there's nothing really exhilarating or esoteric about it i think it's human beings most natural and most normal state and it's a state which we to some degree experience as children as young children and it's a state that we're all heading towards in some sense. And I'll leave you um, with my website. Uh, it's uh, www.stephenmtaylor.com. That's Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. And I write poetry too. I write spiritual poetry. So maybe, uh, maybe sometime... I can read one or two of my spiritual poems on the on the show. Sure. How long are they? Um, they're quite short. Maybe they last maybe two or three minutes each. Okay. Well, why don't we close our show with one of your poems? Okay. I'm going to read a, a poem called "A Moment Without Thought," and it's a meditative poem. So, I'll I'll leave some spaces between the lines that we can fill with some stillness, some meditative stillness. Mm-hmm. A moment without thought. A moment without thought. And the background noise ceases. And I can suddenly hear the silence between sounds, the silence beneath sound, 
from which all sounds emerge like waves from the sea. A moment without thought, and the fog disperses, and the world is filled with translucent light, new dimensions of detail, and sharpness, and color, and depth. A moment without thought, and these suburban streets are a pristine new world, like a garden glistening with dew. The morning after creation, as if a husk of familiarity has cracked and fallen away, leaving naked, primal isness. A moment without mm. thought, and I'm no longer standing separate, no longer an island, but part of the sea. No longer a static center, but part of a flowing stream. A moment without thought, as if a train stopped between stations and there was never any motion, never any track. A moment like a wormhole, infinitely expanding, like stepping through a narrow gate to find an endless open plain, the panorama of the present. A moment without thought, and this new world of no thought is neither alien nor unfamiliar, but a place where benevolence blows through the air and soft, shimmering energy fills every space. And sunlight is the translucent white light of spirit, the deepest, closest, warmest place, the ground where we are rooted. A moment without thought. Mm. That's beautiful. Dr. Steve Taylor, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Sister Jim. It's been a pleasure. Mm. We'll end today's conversation with an instrumental piano best. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we are here to love each other the same. Please go and visit Stephen M. Taylor.com for more information and download our free Pulse for Peace app for 24-7 on demand. If you'd like to hear this conversation over and over again, feel free to go to any one of our network from iTunes to Amazon to Block Talk Radio. Take care, everyone. Thank you.